Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Elle Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California, and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, I am Dr. Taylor Garcia, a doctor of chiropractic, also based in Orange County, and I also use she, her pronouns. Today, we are talking to Dr. Teresa Pullicle. Teresa, welcome to Birth Reimagined. How are you doing today? Thank you. So good. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Can you, um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a doctor of physical therapy, and I specialize in abdominal and pelvic health. I am a mother of three wild, awesome kiddos, and I love nature and hiking when I am not working on pelvic floors. (laughs) Nice. So, Teresa, what about birth has always lit your fire? What are you most passionate about? I'm most passionate about um, serving a community that I feel has not been totally out in the public served for a long amount of time. I feel like there is a lot of um, undercover work going on for um, vaginal health, for um, birthing people, for women's health, for anyone that really was in a situation where um, they were birthing or or infertility or postpartum because there's a lot of beautiful images of like pregnant women and um, pregnant people growing a baby. But then afterwards it's like, okay, tuck it in, clean up your mess. Like, let's get moving, go back to doing whatever you did before quickly and um, quietly and let's not talk about, you know, what happened. (laughs) So I think that's what lit my fire to serve that population a little bit better and um, bring it out to the open. Oh man. I, I totally resonate with that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a birth photographer. I do, you know, a lot of maternity. I am dying to do a raw postpartum session where, I mean, I've seen some absolutely beautiful ones of, you know, birthing people with their new babies and, you know, celebrating that like really unique time period where not everything, you know, is, is trim and tucked in and perfect looking. And it's, there's something so beautiful about that rawness of it, if that makes sense. Like, it really is. It's so, yeah, it's so, it's so like simple, but pretty and like it's such a time that you just have in your life that it's not going to always be like that but it's so important to document and just to write down your feelings about it or maybe just really hone in on that feeling and be like this is how it is right now I want to come back to this place in my memories at some point you know because there's Mm -hmm. so much time we forget about it and yeah it's just so special yeah there's strength in that time period that is often sure. very much overlooked. It's such a beautiful time of transition, too. It's like, how often do you get to be a newborn parent? You know, it's only yeah. that special time of transition where you're like a pregnant person 
you birth your baby and you're like born again. It's so amazing, you know? Oh, I love it. So Teresa, we invited you to come on the show today to talk about pelvic floor strength. So yeah. can can we start with why is pelvic floor strength so important? So I love to talk about this. So um, pelvic floor, I'm going to call it coordination because strength is I feel like used as a term when you have a muscle that's at its full contracted um, presence. And a lot of times in birth, we need a lot of lengthening, even after birth, um, after a laceration, perhaps any surgical interventions, we need that lengthening also to have this full muscle contraction. So it's super important that we're able to lengthen and contract our pelvic floor for birthing and for postpartum healing. So if you could think of this um, contraction, this muscle as the bicep. So the bicep, you can lengthen it and extend your elbow all the way forward and grab your food and then you contract it and bring your food to your mouth. That's a full muscle contraction. For the pelvic floor, just strengthening and keeping that contracted like your food to your mouth, how are you going to ever lengthen and grab that food again? So you need to be able to lengthen the pelvic floor also. also. And that is why it's important for birth because you are lengthening that pelvic floor during the birthing process. That's such a good visualization. I really like that. Thanks. <laughs> so how can a pregnant person lengthen their pelvic floor and then strengthen? How do, what is the process you usually prescribe? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So I love to have pregnant people work on a lot of hip openers. So I don't know if you two are yogis, but... Um, pigeon pose is a nice one. If you could get in that pose, um, obturator internus is a muscle that's inside the pelvic floor. We can access it, but it's actually a hip rotator. So turning the toes in and leaning forward onto a plinth or a chair or a counter really opens up the posterior part of the pelvic floor. Um, the yoga pose, Supta Baddha Konasana or reclined cobbler's pose, or even butterfly pose, which a lot of people can do, like putting the heels of their feet together and bringing the knees out wide and relaxing into it with props or just sitting in that position that could really open and lengthen the pelvic floor. Um, child's pose, doing even like cat cows could be really nice and lengthening because it spreads the sits bones apart in that movement. So I really like those types of moves for pregnant people. And um, in general, just to lengthen and get that relaxation there. So you can actually do a proper pelvic floor contraction. Um, there's a lot of things that you could do that could really lengthen would be like imagining like a lotus opening, um, things that just increase circulation to the area. So Later in pregnancy, I often recommend vaginal steaming towards the end or using, um, if they're not comfortable with steaming, using just a warm pack on the peri area. And all that circulation increase helps to lengthen and relax the pelvic floor. Can you share with us what is the steaming? Sure. So pelvic steaming is super simple. I mean, it's been going on for centuries and centuries, but like I was saying, like behind closed doors, right? 
but now it's more open. Um, and there's even salons and spas that have this. Um, so what I like to do is have someone fill up uh, water and boil it, take it off the stove, wrap a towel around it, and just let the steam come up to the peri area. Um, there's so many um, different herbs and things you can try that, that can support the pelvic floor in different situations, whether it be like a cyst or you're having pain or prolapse. But in general, just using steam is a great way to relax the pelvic floor. And you could do it simply at home on your own, just with a pot, pot of water. And do you, I guess, have to kind of squat over it or just kind of sit like... Yeah, you could like fabricate some way of sitting over it. So I'll tell people, put your pot on the ground and put a blanket or a yoga towel around it. And then you you could tall kneel above it, or you can lean on an ottoman and have it underneath you. Or you can make your chairs in a V shape, two chairs in a V shape and put the pot underneath you and steam. And then there's some people that even take a hot, hot water and pour it into their toilet and just sit on their toilet. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> that one never <laughs> would have sense. occurred to me. Yeah. I know. Doing that. Yeah. You know, they, um, in some hospital settings, postpartum, they offer sits baths. I mean, that's just like a sits bath in a way, you know? So I don't totally recommend the plastics because I don't like the idea of hot water being with plastic, but it's still an option if you wanted to use a sits bath, you know, but your porcelain, you know, toilet you could do it right in there genius (laughs) now what about strengthening the pelvic floor now that we've lengthened it how do you recommend pregnant persons strengthen their pelvic floor so for strengthening the pelvic floor i really like pregnant people to focus on their diaphragm and breath with their pelvic floor contraction so back when um, Dr. Kegel started these Kegels, it was, okay, here's science. I'm going to use a pressureometer and put it in a vagina and squeeze, squeeze, squeeze as much as you can. And science says, okay, when you squeeze, 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 you're getting stronger. And thus that can stop incontinence or leaking. So, okay, great. We rolled with that. We know that that works. But as a pelvic floor PT and someone who is relying on function of this pelvic floor, I would love to see this being used with breath. So how I have people strengthen their pelvic floor after they've achieved a nice length that they could fully lengthen and fully contract, I have them inhale, lengthen your pelvic floor, and on your exhale, when your diaphragm goes up, your pelvic hammock or pelvic floor is also going up with your diaphragm. So that's when you do your pelvic floor contraction. Your pelvic floor contraction is a series of squeeze and lift. So your first layer, you're squeezing the urethra, the vagina, and the anus closed. And on your third layer of your pelvic floor, those are your lifters. And they're lifting up the viscera, they're lifting the bladder and the uterus, if that's what your organ you have there. And you are expelling your air. So using your diaphragm with your pelvic floor is the way to strengthen. Now, would you prescribe different exercises or process for someone who is pregnant versus uh, postpartum? Well, as you know, everyone's so individualized and they may have a different um, body type or perhaps they have one, uh, one side that's weaker and one side that's, that's stronger, or maybe they're lengthened more on one side or 
Perhaps they've had a laceration or a surgical thing where they were, if you imagine a sheet and a sheet is cut in the middle and they, they sewed it closed, no matter how beautiful that sew is, you will see some, you know, pulling and knitting around there, especially if this tissue is so malleable, like our vaginal tissue is, um, we will see some, some pulls in different areas. So yes, I will prescribe things differently inside my assessment, but in general, if someone's postpartum, I am really focusing on a lot of the strengthening with the lengthening aspect. When they're in pregnancy state, I'm focusing a lot on the lengthening and I'm not too worried about their strength in that moment unless they present with something else that leads me to want to prescribe it that way. How about after a C-section? Yeah, beautiful. After a C-section, um, the pelvic floor is definitely affected. And C-section, there almost is a little bit more going on because of that um, open abdominal surgery that went on. Um, so there is different scar tissue that we're dealing with. There's different poles in our in our um our fascial leotard. So if our leotard has a snag right in the middle there, there's a different pole and that goes from surface layers all the way down to the uterus. So on that point, I'm always having someone start with a scar tissue massage on their own C-section scar. Um, the vaginal canal probably will present different, but it's not to say that they didn't have a swift swift stretch in the pelvic floor. They may have gone through labor for some hours before this C-section occurred, or maybe they had a program C-section and they didn't go through laboring, but their canal was still stretched because they were growing a baby in there. So um, definitely scar tissue massage for C-sections. And then I like to evaluate the pelvic floor at that point and see how it goes on, but they probably do need some lengthening and strengthening also in their pelvic floor. We, um, on a previous podcast, we talked about how there doesn't seem to be any prescribed rehab for C-sections, either core or pelvic floor work, and how it's kind of important because there was the surg surgical procedure. Oftentimes with some, like, they may have gone, especially if it's an unplanned C-section, they've gone through some degree of labor before that major surgery as well. Yeah. So with every surgery, my like orthopedic training, which all P PTs do, like our initial training is orthopedics. They're like, okay, an ACL or um, a rotator cuff. Here's what you do for week one through two. And here's three, four, and here's week six. And by week 12, they're doing this and that. And then with c-sections there's like before there's six weeks do nothing after six weeks do whatever you want have sex go running whatever <laughs> like there's nothing that just tells us what to do right so as a pelvic specialist um i definitely agree there should be some sort of weekly protocol and not knowing someone and not knowing their situation i would say you've got to start out with scar tissue massage that's got to be week one, you know, not direct scar tissue. We want to go along scar tissue um, above and below. And then week three, massaging scar tissue. And then week four, we're going to do light pelvic floor movement, lengthening and contracting. And then 
by week six, we're working more on core things, probably mm-hmm. diaphragmatic breath as well, um, light core movements. But as I said before, it's like, well, did they have a big tear in the middle also? You know, did they have a diastasis or are they pretty stable in that area? And that's hard to do without hands-on assessment. Um, but of course, you know, virtually people can check their own diastasis. They can, they can um, look at their own belly and they can describe like, how does it feel? Does it feel taut or does it feel boggy? And then we can go from there. And that's definitely, you know, being aware of your body and knowing how to negotiate your own, you know, landscape. Um, and that takes some effort too, because I mean... It's, it's hard for us to get in tune with some of those things that we've been not totally connected with if we haven't connected with it before. Oh, I like all of that. I, I love that. Like, I, I love that. Like you're, I think you're one of like the first people to come on and be like, if you've had a C-section, here are some things you should do and have like very concrete, like, these are the steps. Um, Cause gonna, you know, you we... have a pamphlet like to <laughs> right? divide yeah. because I think yeah. it's needed in all hospitals. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're you're not the first person that told me that, but I should totally make a pamphlet. You know, I've thought about it before, and I do give people when they come to see me, I give them like a whole bunch of things to do for home, and I'm like, do this and start here, and and we're gonna talk through it, and you got this, and I totally should just make a pamphlet. <laughs> I've um, reached out to some OBGYNs and said, hey, can I just send you over an email of like how to do scar tissue massage? And like, it's so weird that they either don't respond or they're like, oh, it's not needed right now. And I'm like, okay, good luck. But then there's all these midwives that are like, yes, please give it to me now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like C-section because, you know, we call it a belly birth, but some people don't consider it a quote unquote real birth. It doesn't get the attention it deserves for the rehab because it's it's still a surgery and it is still a birth. And it's just, it doesn't get like, I mean, the amount of rehab almost any other surgery gets, it, this one just doesn't. Right. It's, it's really sad and it disenfranchises um, people that go through belly births that have C-sections. Um, I mean, any birth is a real birth, so yeah. <laughs> we'll have to take that out of our vocab, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's not cool. I mean, that's like so, I don't know, that's 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 it, really it like silencing someone's experience right yeah. um and it's totally an experience and it, i think honestly i do think it is a harder rehab um than a vaginal birth because of the tissues that have been in trauma so all of our tissues are going to go through trauma whether it's a controlled or uncontrolled trauma and and um the controlled trauma is no less trauma than an uncontrolled trauma and the um, belly births definitely deserve that. I mean, I'm not sure what hospital settings are doing for people that have C-sections because I do know as I was a PT, I mean, I've been a PT for many years. And then my one of my internships was in a hospital and we saw people that had you know, a kidney problem and we would get them out of bed and help them, you know, use the toilet and very super simple things that are very functional and important in someone's life. 
but are they doing that for the C-section births right now? That's something I'm unaware of, of how that goes down in a hospital, but I would think that the first person you would want to see is someone that's going to teach you how to move with your new surgery. I mean, you have an empty belly that was really full before and all your organs are shifting around. You have a scar that needs a lot of manipulation and massage and and care. And you need to be able to roll, get out of bed and go to the bathroom. And then you have also have a newborn to care for. So whether you have a partner or not, you need to know how to care for your newborn and yourself. So, I mean, I would think that that would be the first person they would send into someone's room. But then again, I don't know. <laughs> According to previous podcast, you are told not to laugh. That's oh, that's it. really sad. And that's like probably the best medicine for a person that just had a C-section. <laughs> like, tell me some jokes. I just went through a crazy birth. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, gosh, it's like, what, three layers of abdominal muscle plus the uterus itself? Like that's multiple layers of of scarring and and stitches that are all healing right and then pulling apart that fascia and like the adipose tissue like it still is tissue right that needs like some care there could be adhesions anywhere like I'm sure Dr. Taylor during your um cadaver labs it's like you know you cut through that stuff and you're just going through it as like a new grad or like a new trained professional and you're cutting through and you're like wow this is really deeply in here but like whoa I mean it was I mean the amount of layers you're going through and you're like are we gonna ever get to the organ like geez where is it yeah it's amazing these were not necessarily big quote-unquote big people they were you know that we had some athletes we had some you know some average you know we've had thin people like we had so many cadavers and there's still so many layers that you're going through and any trauma to any of those layers is going to cause other problems. Right. I mean, a lot of people, and I know I have to do, I have to take research on this. A lot of people that have had a C-section also complain of posterior shoulder pain. And in my mind, I'm thinking there was some way this, they were pulled or stitched where they get this diagonal pull from the back And it's super common. I've just noticed that there's always this posterior shoulder naggingness when someone has had a C-section. And we work on a little bit with like cupping and somehow after you loosen up that C-section adhesion, then their shoulders start to free up a little bit. So uh, there's something to it. Have you heard of a thing called fascial trains? Mm, fas- no, not trains. Yeah, that's well. I guess they were I mean, train. I guess train being like a track. Um, because oh, yes, it was, yes. It was. Yeah, there's actually a book about it. I can't blanking. I think it's called Fascial Trains. It was literally how like you can have an like a a fascial adhesion in your leg, and you feel it in like your the opposite hip. Like it was like, yeah. how, like how there's like so much cross coordination in our body, and how the fascia since it covers everything how the where the connection points are and where again adhesions on one spot can can show up somewhere else yeah also with you know with c-sections with where they're located because anything in that lower abdominal any referral up to that shoulder is usually more in the ovarian area or in the uterus area like that that whole area seems to always refer up to that shoulder so like ovarian cysts or ectopic pregnancies if they say they have shoulder pain you want to send them out to get checked for something like that because that could be where the actual problem is. Makes sense. 
Yeah, it's wild. It's like, are there 300 plus muscles in the body or just one underneath <laughs> all this fascial envelope? One. Yeah, one big one. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's fascinating. It's, it's tough too. It's just like, we know all these things. Why aren't they being approached and instructed and directed? Right. But we do. So yeah, that's what we're like all about, all of us here, right? It's like, let's. Um, they're specialists for a reason and there's reasons to refer to specialists. It's, I wish during my PT schooling, you know, my first orthopedics class didn't just breeze over the pelvic floor, even the pelvis, you know, I wish I had a little more in depth, you know, they went and talked to them. They said, okay, at that time I went to PT school about 10 years ago and it said they, it was called a woman's health, even though we're changing the terminology now to fit this day and age it's like women's health. Oh, those PTs, they do internal manipulations. And I'm like, well, what's this internal manipulation all about? I, I would love to learn more. And they're like, well, you have to specialize in it and take more coursework. And I was like, well, I have a vagina, so I'll be doing that. Like, I need to know <laughs> what's going on inside me. Yeah. And it should be it should be part of the core curriculum because even, you know, people without those particular organs should know what it's all about, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I know a lot of birthing people have talked about having like incontinence issues and things like that postpartum. So what are the kinds of things that we can either do to prevent that before it happens or to help remedy it after we notice that it becomes a problem? So that's where I would say that before it become, if you're in pregnancy before it becomes a problem, don't... Um, just keep doing pelvic strengthening on um, a dysfunctional pelvic floor. Really think about that lengthening during pregnancy and then addressing the strength after. Because if you're not lengthening and you have all this pressure on the urethra, there's going to be any like drop of urine in there and you put extra pressure on it, it will just press it out. So the incontinence is not totally uncommon to see during pregnancy. And I would say lengthening is super important. And then after you want to work on the strengthening again um, and make sure that you're getting that full muscle movement. So a way you could even check yourself if you would like to is using a digit so you can just insert your finger and you can inhale exhale when you're exhaling squeeze and lift and see how your muscles move like are you lifting your own finger if you're not comfortable with a finger something that's familiar to people might be a tampon or a menstrual cup or um, a vibrator or anything you could insert you could see if that's moving for feedback or you could even look at a mirror just put a mirror down there and be like am I closing my holes like are my holes closing and you can assess if you're closing a lot of times people that are leaking will see that they're bearing down meaning they're pushing which is not uncommon for it to happen because if you've had a baby you were pushing 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 and your body got uncoordinated and that's your response right now is to push or bear down. Or if you're sneezing and coughing, you might do a pretend cough or pretend sneeze, look at it with a mirror and see, am I pressing tissue down? And that's why I'm leaking. Um, another thing is like Valsalva, hold your breath. And are you 
pressing down while you're holding your breath? And is that why you're leaking? So assessing yourself to make sure that you're pulling up and lifting with those levators, those deep lifters to pull up on the viscera, pull up on the bladder instead of bearing down and pressing onto a bladder. So Teresa, how do you assess pelvic floor length and strength for your patients? So when people come to me, they often know that I specialize in internal assessment. So when they're coming, they know that they're going to do an internal assessment. However, once in a while, sometimes people do not want to do an internal assessment, and that's okay too. But most of the time, I do an internal. And if I'm doing internal assessment, the assessment goes with me with a glove digit at the vaginal canal, I'm assessing layer one, which is my first knuckle, and I'm asking the person to contract their pelvic floor or squeeze. And that's the a manual muscle test for that layer one, the sphincters. For layer three, that's my third knuckle, so I insert the digit to the third knuckle on the right and left side, and I ask the patient to do a pelvic floor contraction or squeeze and lift. And then I assess if they're lifting on the right and the grade of the lift with the left. So then I assess that way. If they don't have a vaginal canal, I could do a rectal assessment, which some people have don't have a vagina and they are getting their pelvic floor assessed, or they're having a lot of posterior pain and they think it is more in a rectal area. So I could assess the same way through the rectum. And if they don't want to do an internal assessment, I can show them externally with a mirror if they're comfortable with that. And if they want to just do a home assessment, I can walk them through that too. Um, But most of the time, people would like to do an internal assessment that way. Okay, so you would be able to feel the imbalance then. Yeah, definitely. So layer one, my first knuckle, the sphincters, usually I don't have to assess right and left because those seem to contract together, that bulbal cavernosis or bulbal spongiosis, if they have a penis, it's named differently, but that muscle contracts together. It makes that figure eight shape around the urethra and the vagina. And then the third layer is the levators, and that's that group of muscle that lift. And I do the right and left because it spans out a lot further, like into the hips, And all those nerves are coming off the lumbar spine, innervate separately on right and left that way. So it's very interesting, you know, if someone could can contract well on their right and their left is not contracting. And then we just work on exercises to try to balance. What would be a reason for the imbalance that you can think of? Um, maybe they had a tear on the right side and it was sewed and then it puckered more. Um, possibly they've had, um, a hip injury from running track for all these years in high school and college and and they had some labral impingements on one of the hips. Um, Maybe they're shorter on one side than the other in like um, leg length. Um, And then sometimes people are just more dominant on one side and they posture that way. Oh, even scoliosis can be something, you know, if they're always rotated or maybe even torticollis, like as a child, and then Mm -hmm. they're just a rotated person, um, you could see that imbalance. But that's why I love working with chiropractic too, because that totally balances, (laughs) yeah, that totally balances all these things. So I'm like, I need this team member to like help me and all this neurological stuff that I'm not getting at and I could work on your muscle here and I could help you to work at home and then you got to see your chiropractor for all your wellness 
So it totally balances everyone out once they do both. I appreciate you greatly right now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. So, Teresa, what is your dream for the birth community? My dream for the birth community is large. So I wish that we can um, be super open about pelvic health. Our providers will be referring out for when something is not quite right and their patients or clients tell them, hey, I have a little bit of incontinence going on or leaking. Oh, I have a little bit of pain with penetration or intercourse or orgasms don't feel quite right anymore. What's up? Instead of them saying, oh, wait it out or let me know how you feel after I prescribe this or um, just contact me in six weeks if it gets worse. (laughs) Instead of that, I would love them to be like, here's a functional expert, a pelvic floor PT that you could go see and refer out to someone that works with function because those are all functional things. Um, We could spend a lot more time with people. We could give them hours instead of just a 15 minute visit and we can make the time and be really um, get in there. You know, we can see what's going on. So I would love for the birthing community to know that they can refer to functional um, pelvic floor PT at any time a client has any dysfunction going on. And then also, why not refer for wellness checks from time to time after during pregnancy? Why not do a check to be like, hey, am I like lengthening my pelvic floor? Is everything working and feeling right when this person assesses these muscles and looks at my movements? And then after the birth, can you go for a wellness visit? get everything checked, um, see how you feel with palpation, um, let the pelvic PT ask you about all these questions because they have these time, this time to ask you about intercourse and all that. And then if you are having any problem there, let them give you exercises or stretch or maybe manual treatment at that time to help take care of it. You mentioned about like a pain during sex. Would a, a, would a hysterectomy also affect the pelvic floor? Oh, yeah, because, I mean, that's a surgical intervention, so there's manipulation and movement there. And and as you know, there's different types of hysterectomies. So, you know, maybe they're just doing partial or maybe they're doing a radical hysterectomy, but all of that can affect um, pain with intercourse. If there's um, Baral, the Baral Institute, he had said that the body hugs a lesion, meaning like if you are getting a trauma somewhere, so a hysterectomy, your body is going to like hug that area. So maybe you roll your shoulders forward and you get an anterior pelvic tilt and you're squeezed up a little bit more and then your bladder tilts a little bit more that way and everything starts to move when you are laying in supine or maybe you have a Um, another positional thing and then you add intercourse to it whether it be penetrative or um, not there is movement and your organs should be like rolling over each other but if there is that adhesion because of a hysterectomy or a surgical intervention there can be pain interesting i was because the body does guard any sort of injury. It tries to oh, protect yeah. it from any further injury. But right. that guarding can end up causing more problems in the long run. Thank you. 
Yeah, for sure. I like to tell people that sometimes their neurological system, they will guard because they're injured. And sometimes their neurological system is like one of those aftermarket car alarms that's going to go off when a motorcycle passes them, but it doesn't need to go off. It's just freaking out. And then there's some systems that are, the car will be getting broken into and that alarm will never ring. But we want the happy medium. Like your car's getting broken into, you should be ringing. You should be guarding. But you shouldn't be guarding when something passes you or the thought of having intercourse is there or um, someone, you're getting a massage. Like you shouldn't have to guard at that point. And when it starts to guard at those things, that's when you're like, oh, something's not quite right. And there needs to be some some manipulations or something needs to be taken care of to kind of reset the system. Yeah, just with how the body reacts to any sort of trauma, it definitely, you know, prolongs it because it's trying to keep it safe. So, Teresa, this is something we like to ask all of our guests. What is one thing you will do for yourself this coming week? Um, I'm really good at self-care. So this week I will probably do a cranial sacral session. So I'm going to contact my friend for that. And I'm going to get my hair braided. (laughs) Oh, nice. That sounds fun. Yeah. Some blue braids. Nice. Yeah. Um, so one last thing before we go, where can everyone find you and connect with you? You can find me on my website. It's www.holisticptsandiego.com. And I believe I'm also on Google. So, oh, San Diego Birthing Network. I am on San Diego Birthing Network. And Postpartum Health Alliance. Awesome. So we will link to those in the show notes for this episode so our listeners can find you easier. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Teresa, we loved having you on and talking all about pelvic floor health and pelvic floor therapy with you. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And to all of our listeners, we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. Thanks again and see you next time.